skills die with your body. Mine will survive long after I'm gone. History isn't kind to men who play God. And we're back one final time donning the tuxedos. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. What could be possibly our final James Bond character study episode. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, to introduce a special third co-host on this endeavor with us today. Yes, David Long of the Is It Worth It Film Review Podcast joins us today. Welcome, buddy. This is uh, a triumphant return for you. I'm, I'm really happy to have you on this one. Yeah, absolutely delighted to be here, guys. Really, really uh, pleased and looking forward to diving into this, uh, this epic uh, blockbuster of a film. The most epic. <laughs> there was a lot of film in the James Bond uh, what we're going to talk about today. Let's. We're going to pivot to start, though. There was. This is a big, I guess, British movie day, because before we get to Her Majesty's Secret Service's uh, biggest undercover agent, we could talk about another Britain-related film that you just saw this mm. morning, Dave, that we're kind of excited to see when we can. Uh, let's start by talking about your first takes on the movie Spencer that you just got out of a couple hours ago. Yeah, so Spencer, I saw it at the BFI uh, London Film Festival, and the first thing I would say about this film is I think this is going to be a critic's darling. Mm. Like, I think critics are going to absolutely rave over this film for a number of things, for the score, for the cinematography, for the for the costumes in it, which there is an array of costumes, by the way, um, but mostly for Christian Stewart's performance. Like this is this is a real powerhouse performance. Like I was going in expecting it to be hot. But I came out sort of, you know, even more blown away than I thought I was going to be. Um, first reaction was this is a very, very interesting film come Oscar Sunday in a number of categories. That's music to our ears. I think uh, perhaps the most anticipated movie of the fall for me, uh, I, I'm not going to lie about that. I, I've been going on a roller coaster of emotions up and down. Do I, do I expect too much? Do I not expect enough? Mike, we had that episode where we're like, you know, what movies are we most worried about with mm -hmm. Amanda? And then I kind of changed my tune after watching one episode of The Crown and then the trailer. And the trailers <laughs> look nothing like... So have, are you a fan of The Crown? And is, is this movie very different or, or no? Uh, I'm not actually a big fan. Well, I say I'm not a fan of The Crown. I haven't seen The Crown. I, I, I've seen a few episodes with my mum. My mum's made me watch a few episodes. And I will say one thing. It's very addictive, The Crown. Um, but I think this is a very different angle to The Crown. Um, from what I've heard and from what I saw uh, today, this is this is this is a real character study. It's a very word-heavy piece. It's a real focus on Princess Diana, and Christian Stewart really commands the screen. So she's, I mean, for me, I'll say this now: I think she's an absolute slam dunk lock nomination. I don't think that will come as a surprise to you guys to hear that. Um, I think it's a hot field, but at the moment, she's the leader of the pack. She's the one they've got to chase down, in my opinion. And the buzz has been palpable. I mean, you said yourself that. So when you said the queue was super long today, was that just for this screening itself? This was so the the BFI put on three screenings of Spencer, and honestly, it sounds longer than it was. But the queue was all the way from Leicester Square to Chinatown. Now that's <laughs> if you guys know London, trust me, that's a, it's a fair old way. It was all the way around the block and longer. Me and Craig got there at like half seven, expecting to be some of the first people there, but no, there were real keen people, and uh, rightly so. I think this is a movie that will do well at the box office. Princess Diana is still adored in this country over here, and. You know, she sells and she'll sell tickets at the theater. 
and there's that equal. I mean, there's uh, Americans have this obsession about the royal family of all things. Yeah. And Princess Diana is. Still, I don't know what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> One of the mics here is uh, living and dying on the Downton Abbey uh, road there. But excited to hear that. I'm glad that lives up to expectations and. I don't know how much higher the expectations or the hype for that movie could get, which is kind of a, a weird one. It's like saying that, you know, you're super excited to see a Downton Abbey, except it lives up to every kind of <laughs> major Oscars category that it could possibly live up to. So I'm I'm certainly interested in that. But all right, let's we go from the princess to, I, I guess, the king of MI6, the king of spy <laughs> movies, the king of action movies. Let's talk about No Time to Die. Uh, if you've not joined us before for any of our James Bond character studies, uh, we're going to do them in two separate parts. There will be a non-spoiler part at the beginning, and then there will be a spoiler heavy part in the second half or the majority of this episode. If you've not seen the movie yet, we're not going to ruin it for you. In the first part here, we're going to talk about the uh, our movie watching experiences, the performances, give an Oscars lens, and talk about the production values before we get into the ins and outs of the plots, as well as some uh, cleverly named segments that you've come to know and hopefully love throughout our James Bond character study. So let's start with how we watched No Time to Die. Dave, what was your movie watching experience with this film? My movie watching experience for this film was absolutely fantastic. It was a midnight screening, so I couldn't have been more on the ball. Uh, one of the first to see it in the UK, in the IMAX, um, you know, just a fabulously big screen, amazing sound quality. Went with my dear friend Craig and co-host there of Is It Worth It, the Film Review podcast, and some friends. And, you know, we just had a, a real blast watching this film. I think I enjoyed this movie as much for the company we had as, as for the... And here's the thing. N number one, I love that there was like so many 30-somethings and 40-somethings in our audience last mm. night. So Mike and I saw this with Andrew Morgan and the Nomcast. He'll be on an episode next week where we'll, we'll talk about this as well. But there were some... There were some uh, women dressed dressed up, which was, uh, I mean, they were beautiful, which I was, like, very impressed with the, his hometown, Andrew's hometown, where we saw the movie, Mike. But I think I think half the fun was quoting Austin Powers throughout the entire screening. <laughs> Mike and I were sitting next, next to each other, just Austin Powers. I thought this was the non-spoiler section. Is this? No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, this was a movie event that I... I don't know about you guys, but I needed this. I've been looking forward to this for a while. There's just something very unique about that. These production values, these you know musical cues. Like I'm just in heaven with this music. Never mind with the the, the IMAX experience. Uh, for, for we had Cinemark uh, there, Mike. Because this was this was a bigger movie screen than I've seen a movie on in a while. I don't know about you. Yeah, it was huge. And with the IMAX or the IMAX screen that it comes with, I mean, the sound was jumping off i mean it was like ingrained in my head i felt like i was back watching titan again because of how loud titan was with its sound generally dave was there like an audience reaction like i there was some laugh out loud moments that people in our audience uh were going with but i we didn't really get like i expected because of the spectacle this movie is to get like some applause or some kind of conversation i felt like there wasn't really a buzz leaving our theater mike i don't know if you feel differently but dave was there any kind of palpable audience reaction that you dealt with at the end of this or throughout this yeah, I mean, the, throughout the audience reaction was good. There's obviously some good comedy in this film and and there was laughter. Um, at the end, Mike, I would say there was traditional British applause. There was a, a smattering, a light round of applause and then we all went home for tea and crumpets. Which, um, means, you were, which means you were ecstatic about it. Yeah, so which means I, that we were blown by it, yeah. I was gyrating. I don't know if Mike saw me, but I was like I had a hula hoop 
uh, around me. I was giddy, but I, I think, Mike, you were a little more tempered with uh, what you saw at the end of this. I mean, we've got to get into the spoiler section uh, eventually here with all our fun segments, but I do think in terms of uh, expectations, like they they have to be extremely high going in for people. So this movie has a lot to live up to where I think I think that we're going to get polarizing responses to it just to be coy about that. I think we have, right? I mean, I I think one of the things we're going to focus on in spoilers is uh how surprised by the internet we are overall with both the reception to this mm-hmm. and and how people felt about it. But yeah, I mean, as far as your reactions, Mike, I, and Dave, I don't know if you listened to our review of Dolomite is my name a couple of years ago, but this is the most animated I've seen also, Mike. I've seen also Mike in the theater since that. He was laughing. He had his hand on his head a couple of times. He was like throwing his arms up. He was animated. And there is stuff to be animated about, certainly in a movie like this. But yeah, it, it was fun. It was fun to watch the movie as much as it was fun to watch my co-host react to it. I didn't know where I ended and you began. It was like, is that my <laughs> knee? Is that your knee? Whose popcorn is this? No, we had, we had a blast. So the, the, this was one of the more fun movie experiences I've had in a while. So I, I hope I hope people have that same experience throughout this weekend. I hope it makes buku bucks. But yeah, I guess we could start actually reviewing the thing, right, guys? <laughs> So as far as what we got in the movie itself, expectations we kind of talked about going in a little bit, we alluded to, but how surprised, I guess, Dave, were you with what we got versus what you kind of expected to get without giving too much away? Without giving too much away, and we'll get into it in spoilers, very surprised. Um, And uh, yeah, just, yeah, shocked, really. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can tell now, shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, kind of the same feeling, right? Well, I guess I was very impressed with... uh, I can't give away my feelings, because I would give away, because we just did an hour preview, so I'm going to be coy about this. But here's what I'm impressed with. I'm impressed with how uh, Carrie Joji Fukunaga embraced all the Bond tropes, like all of them, from the watch to the Aston Martin to the basic... You know, like Andy and Toy Story playing in the sandbox levels of play and also make that cool as hell. Because I thought this movie had, like from the trailers, Mike, when we reviewed the trailers, we loved so many shots like, oh, my God, that's badass. Oh, my God, mm-hmm. that's cool as shit. I was literally shaking my head of out of pure joy. It's like, I, I, I can't believe that's so cool. I can't believe the British Navy is there <laughs> in, involved. I can't believe uh, we have uh, this Nomi character just badass, you know, fading off into the darkness out of the SWAT team uniform. And Anna de Armas had these moments. And, my God, Bond just getting out of a car, any car, or Bond unveiling a car like Aston Martin number three out of the garage there. I mean, those moments are what you live for with a James Bond movie and we got it in spades last night. So if you're, if you're worried about getting a James Bond film uh, or enough of a James Bond film, we got that. It's a long runtime. Mike, I'm curious because you've gave this litmus test throughout the year. Did this movie lag for you? What was the runtime like? Because this is a long, one of the longest Bond movies ever, if not the longest, two hours and 43 minutes. Like It played fairly snappy to me. How did it play for you? It was a very, very quick two hours. And I think at the last half hour, I started feeling the time a little bit. But yeah, I didn't feel like... I mean, it's entertaining. 
I, I it's it's tough separating what's entertaining versus like what's going to be academy fodder at the end of the day for me. But I I don't think you're going to be upset if you go and see this movie. I just have found myself the more I think about it, the more holes I feel like I can poke in it, and that's kind of I mean that's one of me problem and two something that you're not thinking about when you're in the theater anyway. So I think you're going to be fine. You're not going to be like it too is the one I keep coming back to it too. You felt every minute of its two hours and 40 something minute runtime. But Dave, how did you feel like with the pacing of this and the tempo of it, even though it is the longest bond ever, did you feel like it flew by or was there any kind of lag for you? So I came down pretty strong on this when me and Craig reviewed it. Like I've I've done a rewatch as well, which I always think's help with helps with the pacing of a film when you rewatch it. I thought this film was impeccably paced. Mm. Like I loved the action sequences. I loved when they ramped it up. I loved when they pulled it down and we had those sort of more heavy sort of dramatic sequences. Um, visually, I thought it was a gorgeous film. We'll probably touch upon that. But in mm. terms of the pace, um, it actually improved with a rewatch. Like when I rewatched it, it, <laughs> it, it, it imp- this film does improve with a rewatch, in my opinion. But in terms of the pace, I thought it was paced really, really well. I, I thought it flew by. And I was really concerned when I saw this running time going in. I thought, blimey, two hours 43. Like right. surely they could get a tighter edit. But no, I thought the pacing of this movie was was pretty spot on i think that was our biggest worry too with the critics when we critique the critics like the new york times is saying this works as an hour at an hour and a half how dare you give me two hours and 43 minutes but like we've seen you know so many bloated bonds and that's half the fun with them like you want to live in these movies they come out once every few years like a fast and the furious just give me just give me all the indulgence give me all the male fantasy give me all of it uh because we just don't get them that often, especially this last time with Daniel Craig. I, I, I'm almost gr- glad to, I'm not almost, I am glad to be satiated with all this movie, I guess. Well, it's it's certainly a testosterone-driven affair between <laughs> Craig and the cinematography with the production value. I mean, Daniel Craig, and we could talk about his performance as Bond, both in this movie and I guess a little bit overall as his time uh, playing the character has come to an end, but... The, like, is this the most jacked he's ever been? I, I People in Hollywood are aging backwards now, and it's starting to infuriate me as somebody who sits around a lot. Yeah, he looks good. Uh, <laughs> I'll answer that. He looks good, and every chance he got to take off his shirt, if I, yeah. if I looked that good, I would as well. I don't know who's adding all these shirtless scenes, but it uh, it, it, it works in the movie. Straight, gay, doesn't matter. Uh, it works. Uh, the man is cut. He's ripped. He's given yeah. me hope for our latter years, Mike, our golden years. <laughs> Is there anything he did differently, David, in this portrayal of Bond, his final portrayal of Bond, that you thought was not something we've seen from a Craig Bond performance yet? I I mean, we saw it in Casino Royale, that emotional element, that human side of Bond, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think Casino Royale is one of the best Bonds ever, because we we get to know the character of Bond, we get to love the character of Bond. I think in this film, and I'll touch upon it again in spoilers, we see just a real raw, emotional, stripped back, sort of like, you know, forget all the the, the guns and and all that. Like, who is the man? Who is James Bond? And Daniel Craig, and I've been listening to some interviews with him, he he studies hard for this role. He really gets into this role. He takes this role very, very seriously, despite apparently being a very um, jokey kind of casual, very easy to get on guy. But he dives deep into this role. Um, and it's just really gritty and, and, and yeah, I think it's one of his better performances as James Bond. And I think there's a credit there to the writing and the material he's been given. 
I must say, guys, I think it's essential to watch Casino Royale and it's essential to watch Spectre. And Absolutely. you'll enjoy that. Like those two, to me, in this film are the derivatives for a lot of the emotion. If you watch those two films before No Time to Die, you're you're set. If you I mean you can watch them all with, and listen to all our podcasts on them, of course, and our James Bond character study we did all four <laughs> Craig episodes, but I think I think uh those two uh movies actually give this character all the reasons for everything he's doing. If you don't if you don't, there is some melodrama. Like, if this is just in a vacuum, this is just self-contained. Like, Daniel Craig will do some things where you're like, wait a minute, why? But then you mm. remember, oh, my God, he's got all this baggage from those two films. I'm trying to decide where to pivot to. I absolutely co-sign what you say, and those are two re- should-be-required watchings uh, before you get to No Time to Die. But I guess, Dave, I'll, I'll kind of put the impetus on you. Do you want to talk about Leah Seydoux, or do you want to talk about Remy Malik next, as far as those are obviously the two next most important characters to James Bond in a James Bond movie for this one? I think Rami Malik because I read an article in a UK newspaper that said this was the worst James Bond villain ever. <laughs> Like, this guy was annoyed, man. He, he he went in hard on Rami Malek. And, again, upon a rewatch, I'll get on it in spoilers, but this his character is disturbed. I mean, seriously mm-hmm. troubled. And the way he portrays him, I think, is quite interesting. It's, it's a very different Rami Malek performance than his Oscar-winning performance. Like, you couldn't have two more contrasting kind of roles. Um... But yeah, I think Rami Malek was an. In- I found him a really interesting Bond villain. There's there's holes in there, and we'll get to that. Um, but no, Rami Malek for me was was in- was a, an interesting portrayal. I think the intercharacter dynamics with Rami Malek, based upon from the opening scene throughout, like this is the first Bond movie. It's not a spoiler that starts with Rami Malek's character. So I think that is unique to this film. And to this villain. Now, at the end of it, we'll boil it down to a very specific character from another movie series. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's we what will. he is. That's all he is. And we're fine. Like, I'm fine with that because I want that indulgence. I think if, and I get why people who uh, want to take this franchise more seriously, which is totally cool because this is kind of like, you know, the anti hero. Uh, franchise, right? The Daniel Craig iteration of Bond is the more serious version. It is the Dark Knight of Bond uh, runs, you know, with uh, the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight. It is Absolutely. the Walter that White was a credit, version. Credit to Andrew for saying that as well. Uh, coming out of the theater last night, that was the, one of his points he was talking about from the Nomcast. Yeah, so if you want to take it more seriously, this movie gives you the visual seriousness. I think that mask is terrifying. I think Rami Malek's performance is terrifying, but his character's motivations and his... Well, his character's motivations are terrifying, but his character's actions, though, (laughs) not so much. I wonder if the bald cat was putting in as a joke towards uh you know afterwards <laughs> they just threw that screen in, that scene in um as much as remy malik was like the seriousness i think leia Seydoux plays the other role this and i i think dave this is what you're getting at when you're saying this is more about bond the man the person i mean she's responsible for like the emotional hook mm. and the emotional aspect of james bond's character of this movie yeah, she is, obviously, and uh, like uh, also Mike said there, you know, it's it's imperative to, to go and watch Spectre. I mean, um, 
Casino Royale as well, but particularly Spectre to to get to know her character, to see that that story, um, and the way that her character's uh, introduced in this film and explored in this film again contrasting to Bond is, is very, very interesting. And for me, it made compelling watching. Like, I thought the character development in this film was for Leia Seydoux's character, uh, Madeline Swan, and for, for, obviously, Daniel Craig's James Bond, I thought was very, very solid. Yeah, that's right on, David. I think, uh, I think she is kind of the anchor of this film in many ways, which is a testament to the fact that she is finally, Madeline Swan is finally the match for James Bond, which is something you and I remarked on in, uh, in our Spectre review, Mike, uh, the ups and downs of that movie, too. Even still, it was grounded on a character dynamic that worked. I mean, those two characters work together. The conflict is real. That conflict is, is, is high drama. So maybe some of the naysayers will come away from this. And, like, I don't really want the romantic subplot for Bond to be the main plot, but that's featured in this movie for once. <laughs> Look, they give you three hours of runtime, but we do have a lot uh, on the romance, so I really appreciated that because I do think it works. And it's different. It's not just... The romance isn't just sex. <laughs> you know, like there's actually a story attached to it. He's not just meeting a girl and then betting her in the very next scene. And I actually wanted to give... I mean, as much of our focus on the James Bond character study has been how the hell can you possibly write women this way? And maybe we should get women writers in the writer's room for these movies. Like I think they should be not that there's not problems with the female characters. And I don't know if you, all the credit goes to Phoebe Waller bridge or whoever, but Lashana Lynch and Leia Seydoux, I think are written pretty well-roundedly or certainly at least the most well-roundedly as like any James Bond female protagonist character has been. I think, they deserve credit. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to say about Lashana Lynch's character as well, or just about the writing of the female characters in general. But to me, that's what I was maybe most impressed by is that this was a 2021 James Bond movie that feels like it was appealing to 2021 sensibility of equality and norms for the most part. She's a protege or is she? Is she's a rival or is she? The movie lets, in terms of Lashana Lynch's Nomi character, it lets that play out. And if people are worried about you know, the fact that James Bond has a rival, how dare, you know, I, I mean, it has a protege, has a right. If you're worried about that going in, I would, I would say, you know, watch the whole movie and then give your criticisms because there's a ton of backlash in the, the, the lead up to this film uh, about that. And I think that's unfounded and miscast. So Lashana Lynch did a wonderful job. She is the, uh, uh, I mean, badass moments of the film mm. she gets mm. them Anna the Armas the same my god yeah. I yeah. love those 10 minutes with yeah. her in it she could have a whole spinoff so here's the thing I I gotta ask you guys like Bond has never spun off into anything and now we have Amazon Prime kind of loosely behind it I mean I totally want to see Lashana Lynch have her own series or Anna the Armas have her own series good god man wouldn't wouldn't we sign up for that Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike uh, Mike one hit the nail on the head there where he said it was a, a 2021 bond for a 2021 audience and it was so refreshing to see those strong, empowering female characters. And 100%, Lasana Lynch's performance was great. Her character was well-written. She was kicking ass, you know, and she, she was matching Bond and sometimes she was better in Bond, you know what I mean? And absolutely, the idea of some spin-off series, and I thought about this, you know, there's so much potential for spin-off from this from this film. Agree. 
agree wholeheartedly, and I agree with both of you. There's, there's a ton of potential. For, you can go in a million different directions with a million different characters, uh, and not least of which is Lashana Lynch. I would love to see that. I would love to see Anna de Armas, who's supposedly only been on the job for three weeks, right? You know, and, and see her her career progress as well. But yeah. Yeah, I was laughing a little bit because Amazon Prime is now involved. I mean, the thing, like, it's anathema to James Bond fans that we would get a James Bond TV series. It is mm. against everything the Broccoli's have ever said to have, like, a spinoff series or whatever. But I, I just feel like they set it up beautifully if they wanted to go in that direction. And can you imagine? I mean, Lord of the Rings is on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yep. Can you imagine a double O series? People tend to take uh, more softer stances on things when they see a Brinks truck in their driveway. So I think Amazon has the resources where they can ease the broccoli's concerns if they wanted to to do such a thing, I would say. Um, I think you're right. We, we could wrap up talking about uh, more of an Oscars lens and just the production values. I know you both want to gush about the cinematography specifically, but you could take it in any direction you want. David, maybe I'll ask it this way. What production value do you think stood out most to you um and the simple answer is cinematography it comes from linus sangren um academy award winner for la la land Uh, also did the cinematography on first man and i could see real similarities with first man and some of the cinematography in no time to die here really intimate close-up shots some of those uh, car chase scenes bike chase scenes where you really feel like you're involved like you felt you were going into space in first man and the cinematography on this was gorgeous there was like a number a good cinematography to me is where you can pause a film and you could just frame it and there are so many mm-hmm. stills in no time to die that you could just pause the movie get that framed and put it on the wall because it's just beautiful to look at um what but isn't I- it cheating too a little bit like and i know my mike totally agrees with you and we were actually just having this conversation before we came on but isn't it cheating a little bit that you have you're able to go on location to these gorgeous places and all you have to do is set up an establishing <laughs> shot and then there you you're go. starting you're starting to sound like such an Oscars uh, cinematography buff well, I, here. Like, because, I know a goddamn thing about holding a camera, but I'm just, you know. <laughs> no, but we talk about all the time, like, oh, this is a $15 million budget, and this is a $200 million mm. budget. And or, and we kind of give True. degree of difficulty to the Chloe Zhao movie mm-hmm. that is shot for, you know, a smaller budget over the, you know, the big budget uh you know, Bond film or MCU film, I just drink this up. I drink <laughs> it up, and I love it. Because, <laughs> like, Elinus uh, Sandgren here, yeah, I mean, he gets the mid-budget Oscar film, and he's nominated for those, or he's he's pl- uh, uh, applauded for those, like an American Hustle. But here, he is able to, in a master shot, shoot the stunt of the guy on the beautiful bridge with the motorcycle that we yeah. saw in the trailer drive up and over and into the town from Luca. We see that here in James Bond. Uh, and we also get the close-up. We also get the cutaways to you know the, 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 the front of the car or the whatever, the, the bullet holes going into the uh, bulletproof or the, you know trying to shoot down the glass of the car. I'm just, I'm just talking about the opening sequence, but I thought I mean there was at times again where I was just shaking my head in delight. Like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I've missed this for so long. Tenant had moments like that that only that amount of money on the screen with that amount of talent behind the camera can accomplish. So mission accomplished in that regard is what I would say with the cinematography. Cause I was, yeah, I just need to gush. 
So where do we go after cinematography? You both think it's an Oscars caliber aspect, which is easy for me to say. Uh, what about next, Dave? If you had to put your money, which is probably a dangerous area for me to ask <laughs> you about because you and I can go down this rabbit hole for a while. But if oh, you yes. had to put money on another... Uh, How I, I, much I, money? And... <laughs> I think we all agree original song is up there. Is there anything aside from original song that you would at least tend to want to see nominated or get consideration on an Academy level. It's not only what I think will be nominated. I, I'm saying, I, in my opinion, it will definitely be nominated, and that's a big statement. I think it's sound. Um, I mm. thought the sound design on this film was absolutely gorgeous, and if I had a lot of money, which I don't, I would be betting it all on sound <laughs> to get nominated, um, and I'd probably end up doing what I did with A Star Is Born and losing a lot of money. Um, <laughs> oh, A Star Is Born, don't get me started on that. But no, the sound design in this film is brilliant. Um, I'll touch upon it again in spoilers, but the sound is solid, and, and I think it's got a real good chance of getting a sound nomination. I really, really do. I'm starting to see a trend between your gambling habits and Lady Gaga films. You will, I'm going down that rabbit hole and I will go down with the ship again this year. It's the Italian connection too, which I love being an Italian man. So, uh, and, and I've made a lot of crass and silly jokes about Italians and gambling up to this point. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Original song, I mean, I would have put my money on it. Uh, two years ago yeah. that it, it would be here. She's going to be 20 years old and have like six Grammys and an Oscar, Billie Eilish. Burn it all down. Burn it mm -hmm. all down yeah. if she is not the front runner and if this movie is not nominated for Best Original Song. That, again, that would just be a testament of people being sick of that song for some reason, which I don't know why they would be because when you actually get that with the pristine uh, audio that we heard, I mean, as loud as it mm. could just ratchet up the volume. I don't want to hear when I leave this, but I, when the, when I leave the cinemas, uh, when I watch a James Bond movie after the James Bond movie, because it's that just delicious to my ears. And I don't usually hear well during movies, Mike. I don't usually comment on the sound mm -hmm. and the score. So I'm thrilled to hear David just, yeah, confirming it because he's had the rewatch. Best sound, original song. Here's what I don't know, guys. Is this an original enough score? Because they actually changed the rules to make it harder. We see Star Wars movies getting nominated all the time for all the reprisals of the of the uh, score. I don't know. I tried to do some research online. That's something we're going to have to keep our ears out for. But Hans Zimmer yeah. is involved here. And I, again, just music to my ears is the silly way to put it, the cliched way to put it. But I can, I'm in heaven with a James Bond score in this mm. Daniel Craig series. All five movies did this to me. I'm in a trance. I just, I want to, again, like I said, I'm literally gyrating in my seat. Nobody wants that mental image, but there it was. <laughs> the popcorn would flood. The popcorn is fluttering like it's a uh, puddle in Jurassic Park, let's just say, because I am moving and grooving to the score. Well, I'm glad you put that second part in there to make the visual... <laughs> Better? The popcorn uh, <laughs> is not moving from my hips. This <laughs> let's 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 ask it in a gambling way to a gambling expert. If I put the over under a total noms, Dave, at two and a half for this movie, what do you think? Over. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, Mike. So the VFX, like stunts should be nominated at like SAG, right? Here mm. for No Time to Die, I would say. Because no some of these stunts are just next level, and only a Tom Cruise movie can maybe top it. Only an MCU movie, like a Black Widow, for instance, could maybe top it. So I'm, I'm all in on the, on the stunts for the SAG category. The problem is, do they get 
you know, incorporated into the VFX category under quote unquote practical effects. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know that this is a, a tough category for us to gauge over the years, but we do have, we, I mean, we do have some great fight scenes. We do have some, you know, the, the British Navy involved. It, it should be in my opinion, but we'll see if it is. So that would be the third nom, I guess. Yeah. So you're saying over as well? Yeah. So, but the question is, I mean, those are the two wild cards, like VFX and score. Are they even eligible? Do they fall under the purviews? Like we're always open-minded and we're always kind of learning about these, I would say. Mm. So I'm not sure. Like it could ease, like if it's the under, it would be song and cinematography, which cinematography is a, a tough hill to climb. So I'm sorry. I think I got to actually, you know, I'm talking myself out of the over. I'm talking myself into the under here. I was going to say under as well. I think song is a, is a slam dunk. And then I would say one of sound or cinematography. Uh, but we will see. I mean. Dave's won a lot more money than either you or I have in uh, gambling <laughs> and on these things lately. One of the reasons I went for the over is I know it will be the bigger odds, and I like to play the bigger odds just, <laughs> just for the thrill, Mike. Just for the thrill. I understand. What if it hits? <laughs> I understand completely. <laughs> That'll wrap it up. Let's wrap up the non-spoilers section here. I think we're all saying this is at least worth a watch. Correct? Yes. And uh, let's talk about what happened in the plot. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Oscars profile review of No Time to Die, an entry into the James Bond character study brought to you by Mike Mike and Oscar. We have our good friend David Wong from the Is It Worth It Film podcast along for the ride with us. If you've not seen this movie yet, Hit stop now. This is a good place for you to hit pause. Go check it out at your local theater. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play on the rest of this episode. If you've seen the movie already or you're just curious to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much that you need to hear how much of this movie is like another movie that we're going to be talking about, no doubt, in this spoiler section. This is where you want to be. All spoilers, the ins and outs of the plot, and all it has to offer from this point on. Uh, no Time to Die's Oscar profile brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar with our buddy David Long from the Is It Worth It film podcast. Michael. All right. We usually do the historical significance section in non-spoilers. We cannot do that in this episode for obvious reasons here because I think it's kind of historically significant that they killed James Bond, guys. They killed him <laughs> dead. He's dead. He's gone until he's rebooted, I'm sure, in the next iteration by Tom Hardy or whomever. Uh, go listen to the Is It Worth It film podcast. You guys did a handicapping of the yeah. who, you know who's you know the gambling odds of the next James Bond that Mike and I talked about as well in our prep episode but guys like we want to rank these five films but just on in terms of sheer surprise i am obviously shocked i am they during the movie i'm nudging mike i'm like oh he's gonna die there's no plot armor left here mm. he's done i mean i love you 3000 i thought the kid once was gonna they say introduce it at one point. the daughter you, you know he had a lineage he was gone he was useless forget him he can't be a good father anyway but she has her his eyes so bond will live on in that sense and i knew once yeah once they introduced him this was uh this was going to be a farewell uh mm -hmm. for him the the thing like were you still shocked that they actually went through with it, David? Because you went in as clean as anybody, I would say. You know, on opening night, Great Britain saw it before everybody else. Yeah. How how shocked were you? 
I was I was absolutely blown away. Like, I mean, let's get into the. It's called No Time to Die. Obviously, we can make lots of jokes and 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 laugh about that that um, that title, knowing what we happens. Will. Um, <laughs> we will. <laughs> um, but no, I was I was really shocked. Like, I upon a rewatch, the 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 actual ending for me is is better than the first time. But the first time I watched it, I was I was really shocked. Like I I couldn't believe that James Bond was getting killed. But not only getting killed, he was getting blown to smithereens. Like there was <laughs> there was there was no chance of this guy coming back. Like this 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 was the end. Like this was a, a full stop. It's over. It's done. Put a fork in it. It's finished. I mean, to be fair, he survived. I think three direct grenade blasts <laughs> up to that point without a scar or a mark i mean he was fine that's good writing though mike because we have to escalate what level explosions he could survive like explosion <laughs> at a gravesite but you know it, it grenade in the face he just gets a little sooty just like a chimney sweep <laughs> yep. uh the next you ratchet that up all right he's in a hallway <laughs> drop multiple grenades on his head he's able to jump out of the way some somehow in a stairwell right mm. and, and right. he gets out of that way so right. again we're escalating the stakes but obviously if the british navy drops a heap shitload of whatever that was on your head it takes forever to get there but we and got I to appreciated see. that one of the missiles was a direct hit <laughs> it landed exactly where he was standing ball of fire on his head not even bond could headbutt that missile headbutt that explosive and, and live from it but they also were determined to kill his ass in this one because i mean he has this imperative I mean, this is not other movies. Daniel franchises. Craig doesn't do this movie unless he's killed off. I don't think. Right. I, I, I sincerely think... don't think that. I don't think he wanted any chance of coming back. They invented nanobots. Yeah, oh, they yeah. invented nanobots with a DNA tracer that would also kill your family. So once that, once I knew that, like, oh, it also kills families. Oh, you don't say. So he's gonna have, a, a, he's gonna sire a child, <laughs> and he can't say because he'll kill them he can't save them okay he's dead and I'm, I'm nudging mike i'm like the plot armor is it's the opposite it's death armor at this point yeah yeah uh, a shocking way to go uh one that i think blew us all away pun intended and not but how do you like me giving my how do you like me giving myself credit even though you predicted this <laughs> oh, believe you, me believe me that's james bond dying is going to go down in, the, in in something i will never let you forget or anyone no. forget it's going to I would I would bring up uh, I would bring up well, I can't even remember her name now Rosamund Pike yeah uh, thank you David I was said I would bring up Rosamund Pike but then I'm just gonna get mad that Dave hasn't paid me my money yet <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about ranking these do we want to rank the performances of Bond or do we want to rank the films themselves that Craig did as Bond probably the films I would say okay so, yeah. so let's rank the we have five films to do to pick from. As Daniel Craig's performance, uh, Daniel Craig playing James Bond, I should say. Dave, if you had to rank them, I, I guess as starters, where does this fit into your overall top five? And then specifically, what do you have from five to one? Um, so this comes in at number two. And there was a lot of juggling, Mike, between two and three. Um, but mm. in terms of my overall top five, at number one, there's Casino Royale. Number two is No Time to Die. But hey, there is plenty of time to die. Uh, three <laughs> is Skyfall. Four is Spectre. And I just want to say, Spectre at four 
Spectre was a really good film on a rewatch, and I just want to encourage people to rewatch that because it's a. I think it gets so. I think it gets such a bad rap. Couldn't agree really more. People are so down on it, and it, I think it's kind of become underrated and in, in how much people criticize it. Yeah, couldn't it agree more. It was the most fun. Yeah, yeah, it was the most fun to review for us, by the way. And and then in at number five is Quantum of Solace, which again gets a lot of bad stick. Rewatched mm-hmm. that before a couple of weeks back. I don't think it's the best Bond ever, but it's not as bad as I think people make it out to be. But that would be my one to five. And the, the, the two and three, the flipping of Skyfall from two to three came after the rewatch. Like I said, this, this film improves for a rewatch for me. So that's why No Time to Die jumped up to number two. I am so happy to hear you say that, David, because right now I would have uh, Casino Royale's my number one. I am like you. That movie meant so much mm. to me uh, coming out of school at the end of my school and and just have this anti-hero bond kind of thing. But also it's a bond who's, you know, much more relatable. He's not this, you know, dinosaur as uh, Dame <laughs> Judy Jench, uh, you know, accused Pierce Brosnan's Bond of being. So we finally saw the worm turn. And Mike and I, you and I reviewing this series, the Daniel Craig series, it was refreshing in many ways, not just as a cinematic critic, uh, I would say as a film critic, but as a, uh, as in a, you know, just a, a man in this century. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I think, uh, thank you to Daniel Craig for giving us that. So, Casino Royale, that origin story worked better than most franchise origin stories, so I'm with you there. Skyfall, I think, is the conventional wisdom for the the punditry, I would say. Mm. They have Skyfall number one, but I still have Skyfall number two, and I I look forward to changing that. And then, like you said, Spectre was like the most fun to review for Mike and I, so I I think you have that very higher than me, but then, yeah, Spectre and Quantum, I have to begrudgingly leave as four and five with No Time to Die as three. Mike. I like that we all have different top fives, but we all settled on a couple numbers. Like Quantum of Solace is my number five as well. But still, I mean, the Daniel Craig number five film is upper echelon Bond film, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, they just especially compared to the stuff we've watched beforehand, looking at it with 2021 eyes or 2020 eyes, a lot of these don't hold up in a lot of different ways. And Quantum of Solace isn't great, but it's still a, a top-tier James Bond film overall. But that would be my number five. I'm a little different in the rankings. I think No Time to Die would be my four, just because I am that high on Spectre, and I would go with the punditry as well. Skyfall would be my one. Uh, Casino Royale would be my two. I think those two are pretty interchangeable, which we all seem to agree on as well. And I just, I really like Spectre a lot. I'm mm. very high on it overall. But I'm I'm less high on this movie for this specific reason. We've teased it so much, and I guess now's as good a time as any to bring it up. This is Austin Powers. <laughs> this, this movie is Austin Powers. This is a serious Austin Powers movie. Thank God. I'm so happy for it. And, and some people won't be. Some people want the more serious Bond, but I'm with you there. So When yeah, we it's... go to the island... They should have made the island the shape of Rami Malek's face. Like, that's all that was missing from this. <laughs> With the pinky to the mouth. I yeah, agree. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, this is literally, I mean, down to the bald cat. This is pretty much, and it's crazy how full circle cinema has come. But uh, let's let's get into some of these uh, James Bond, these cleverly named segments, and talk about the, uh, the Austin Powers slash James Bond plot that we have in front of us here. And we'll talk about the spy who's not me, the fantasy elements of Bond, uh, what happens in this movie, why we want to be James Bond but never could be. Uh, David, what was maybe the most James Bondian thing that you saw James Bond do in this movie? I think 
the most James Bondian thing or the most controversial thing was that explosion at the grave. So he's he's <laughs> let me get into this. Let me dive into this. He's blown up, right? Massive <laughs> chunks of brick and concrete. Then after that he's <laughs> shot at. Then he's nearly run over by a car. Then there's just bullets flying everywhere. Then he uses like a cable to swing off of the bridge, lands flat on his ass, steals another bike, <laughs> fights a man, there's more gunfire, um, and then he comes out and says, you're right, letting go is hard. <laughs> It's like, come on, that is the most James Bondian thing ever. The guy nearly dies about eight times and comes out with a one-liner. Like, credit where credit is due. That, that, was, that was just crazy. Loved it. He, uh, he also had some great cable work, which is built on the whole series, yeah. I would say. The fact that he, you know, he's an expert at ropes, at navigating ropes. We'll talk about it later with Lashana Lynch. But the fact, I mean, that bridge scene where he swung like Tarzan, and then he uses another bridge to just drive the bike mm. over. That was the coolest thing ever. Like, I was saying, I was like a neighbor, an old man neighbor, get off my lawn type of neighbor. Slow down! You're driving too fast <laughs> down the Luca Village streets here in uh, wherever Mermaid, uh, you know, Merman Village, uh, Italy, Materna, Italy. And he was going too fast, but he, only he can navigate that. Mm. To, to, to see him in these settings, in the master shots, yeah. that is just cinematic delight to me. And I, my, my biggest takeaway was the Jamaican bungalow. Like this wow. time, finally, I, I like I can't resist like at my old age, whatever. I'm almost 40 like this. This is my dream house. Bond just mm. had my dream house in Jamaica there. That bungalow, a lot of it was open air. He had the uh, the pier walking back. Oh, my God. I just I could live there like uh, the writer of this series basically lived in Jamaica and wrote the at least these first few novels of the James Bond uh, series back in the four, late 40s, early, or I think it was early 50s. So that was just a tip of the hat to uh, the, the, the der derivation of James Bond. And I, I'm really glad that they did it. And a couple of Hulu documentaries, by the way, guys, watch them. And a couple of books that, are, that we read before the character study, Mike, that we reviewed in that, uh, you know, getting into character segments for, for some early Bonds. I, I'm really proud of, uh, of that incorporation. I like that you two are commenting on like such serious aspects of this. David's talking about the, the character himself and all the stunt work attached to it. You're talking about the cinematography and the beautiful settings. And my why I can't be this James Bond is like, well, I think a grenade would blow me up. Like, I think if I, <laughs> if I held an explosive, I would be dead is what I think is, is keeping me from being. I know, Mike, you laughed. Dave, the scene at the grave you're talking about, mm. when he pulls the Spectre card out of nowhere... I guffawed so like that was such a cartoonish setup to me. Do, were you like ready for action at that point, or did you think it was a little too ridiculous, or will you like just give it to me? I don't care what comes next. I'm ready for it. I knew something was coming. Um, I didn't think it would be Bond having his face near enough blown to pieces, but <laughs> it, it was. I know what you mean. You just have that. You just had that moment where he'd burnt that piece of paper that says "Forgive mm -hmm. me," and we'd had this sort of emotional bond, this heavy bond, and then they throw in this sort of corny spectre card, and it's like, "Ooh, the bad guy's still watching." Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's a little right. bit like, "Oh, here we go." Um, but t to answer your question, I didn't have time to think because, boom. There it was. Mm -hmm. And again, on the rewatch, that was a big ass explosion. Let me tell you, that was that was big. He did well to, do, to, to get through that one. 
Guys, Fair point. am I uh, too much of an Oscar pundit to say that when I saw the little squid, the first thing I thought of was my octopus Oh, teacher. that lovely octopus. <laughs> <laughs> am I the only one? <laughs> I, I... Uh, this might be the only podcast that references that when in the James Bond review, maybe. <laughs> um, I do think part of the charm, obviously, with reviewing James Bond, though, is like, the dad jokiness and the the ridiculousness and the cutesiness and the over the topness and we have a segment live and let dad joke live and let dad joke <laughs> this movie was not short on those right david mentioned the uh the best one early that did get a laugh from us uh but he had a couple he had a couple my favorite involved the cyclops character you always need a lieutenant henchman lieutenant who gets his ass whooped the entire film <laughs> that Bond can basically make fun of and, and rib. So we meet, we we meet Cyclops in the opening sequence with Bond there in Materna, Italy, and Bond references that back with Jeffrey Wright's character. He's like, "We ran in Cyclops. We ran into each other in Italy. That was an eye-opening experience." <laughs> <laughs> and then. He gets, of course, you need an exploding watch. The exploding watch won against Christoph Waltz, mm. against Blofeld. Mm -hmm. The watch. You take Bond's watch off. Haven't, how, how haven't they learned this? This has been 48 plus 21 years. What is that? 69 years of James Bond. Nice. Do you think and, that'd be the one thing they look out for? You know? Watch, watch <laughs> out for the watch. Yeah, his wrist is going to have a weapon on it. <laughs> anyway, he, blow, he blows up this guy's eye with the exploding watch which is like a uh what do they call that an mp or whatever an ep the electronic uh pulse anyway yeah. i think it's an ep and he goes to uh q on the radio he's like i just showed him your watch it blew his mind <laughs> head, like, james you're going little... to die you don't have time for this <laughs> yeah. he was a little headstrong that's why this movie is austin powers it's great <laughs> Dave, any other uh, dad jokes that got you laughing? Um, I don't know if it's a dad joke, but I did love the bit where Bond comes in to, to talk to, um, to M and he just says, has this desk got bigger or have you got smaller? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, sucks. And, then, sucks. and then when he leaves he's like you know the desk definitely hasn't changed size it's just little things like that and also yeah. just the the moment where he goes to where he goes to Mallory my god you're thirsty when he's helping himself to the to the whiskey <laughs> can I just say I have never seen a James well I have seen throughout all the other films but this James Bond he loves a drink doesn't he like he's not afraid to get mm -hmm. on the sauce like mid action as well salute he says at one point mm -hmm. to Anna de Armas' character and they have a toast it's like James you're gonna die there's maybe it is time for a drink actually do you know what i mean like, this is the best time for a drink and the hypocrisy of that guy being like em i think you're drinking too much on the job yeah, man. it's crazy it's crazy <laughs> with a cocktail in his hand yeah after we've been watching him drink in every scene it's almost like tony soprano making fun of bobby bacala for eating too much right yeah. right right, right. But M does suck, by the way. Ralph, Ray Fiennes in this movie is the worst. Worse than Judy Dench ever was. Screwed things up worse than mm. ever. And he's well, perhaps... MI6 the... is kind of the bad guys, too. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie starts with MI6 being untrustworthy. And M's untrustworthy, which I thought was a kind of cool take on it. I mean, we've had Bond versus MI6 in previous movies. But you're right. We've never had M as, like, a pretty reprehensible character out and out until the end. But you know what you guys got you guys got uh this right. I think this Bond series just in general was very it, it gave big parts to the side characters. 
M, and we, we got this, you know, I think from, we inherited it from the 1960s and 70s, the distrust for big governments. Mm. We saw them screw up. It's not just this Bond series, but they, they uh, performed it really well. And then there's a lot of uh, heroism to go around, and there's a lot of dad jokes to go around to other characters. So you got these written down here, David. I appreciate you for it. Like, Anna de Armas had a line. Uh, Q had a line. Q had my favorite line. I laughed uncontrollably when he says, oh, you can. Nanobots aren't just for Christmas. (laughs) He hit me with that one. I was like, nanobots aren't just for Christmas. That's really funny. Uh, It's goofy because we all Christmas shop like lunatics here, especially. So, I mean, all the, I mean, we had uh, Lashana Lynch's character get a, a bunch of snide remarks mm-hmm. that really worked. And some, I mean, they don't just portray a character like that as saying, all right, she's only going to, you know, be sly. No, she gets the line thrown back in her face by Bond. So it's fair game. The ball busting was uh, equal opportunity ball busting, which was also refreshing, especially in a movie where, you know, uh, some underrepresented groups finally get mm. some badass characters in a Bond movie. So that that was awesome. I, I will say as well, I mean, going back to, and we can talk about Always Say Never Again, uh, which is where we talk about our moral issues with the movie. Like, I'm, it's refreshing to me to have issues with a James Bond movie that aren't so stark and aren't yeah. so, you know, uh, how could you let this happen? How did this ever come to pass? I... Personally, I mean, I'm sure if I nitpicked, I can come up with something, but there's nothing glaring to me that was like, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. David, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take. You've seen the You're the only one of us who's seen the movie more than once. Was there anything uh, morally questionable to you upon watch or rewatch? I mean, that's a tough question because Bond in general is a bit morally uh Right. He has a license to what? Uh, A license to what? I suppose there's that one point with uh, Anna de Armas' character where where James Bond meets her for the first time and she um, sort of makes the joke that she's new on the job and James gives this sort of wry smile and they go downstairs and she starts to not undress him, but basically she wants him to get changed into his suit and James Bond is Mm -hmm. like, well, I didn't think it would be this quick. You know, (laughs) little things like that. But I suppose... The only thing that you could say that is a little bit questionable is should there have been more of Anna de Armas' character? Should there have been more of Lashana Lynch? I like that. Should, should yes. there have been more of them? Because I've read a lot of articles and a lot of commentaries that say there should have been more of them. Sort of as, as Craig eases out, or abruptly ends, I should say, his time as Bond, was it time to build those characters up a bit more? And the ending is a bit questionable with where some of those characters end up, in my opinion. I wish they didn't show the Anna de Armas ass-kicking scenes because then I might have believed it because mm. you don't know she is ready for this level of stunt work. We haven't seen that in other films from her yet. We haven't seen Anna de Armas, the action star. So we knew it, obviously, in the trailers. So when she's making those jokes, I was not fooled. None of us were fooled, I'm sure, where we realize that she's putting Bond on. But it's fun to see Bond, you know, be a little sappy at some time or be the sap sometimes mm. and, and get fooled. But, yeah, that. She needed to be in more of the movie I mean, because she worked. So that's a testament to this character. But this has been the James Bond series, guys. I mean, we've seen these characters fly in, be in one scene, one sequence. And all right, you got a buddy for life there in Cuba. That's great. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that. Lashana Lynch is my biggest problem in terms of the plot because she basically was reduced to a driver at the end. She was just getting 
the characters off the boat. She was getting Swan and the daughter off the boat, uh, off the island, instead of staying with Bond. Like Madeline Swan was perfectly capable. I mean, she could shoot a bunch of villains in the woods, but she can't drive the boat off the island. I mean, she, <laughs> that was ridiculous. I get why they did it because they don't want Lashana Lynch to die with Bond on the island. I mean, fine. You you want to keep that character alive? That's fine. But you you got to write write her off the island better than Bond just saying you have to take them off the island for me. I agree with both of your points, and I admittedly David's one that had not crossed my mind. Sure, I mean it is a little. You do have somebody as big name wise and recognition wise as Anna de Armas, who's really only in this one part, who abruptly herself is like, "Okay, this is my part to exit the movie. <laughs> Good luck, James." And she's like, "Just gone." And yeah, Mike. I mean, the only the only I guess repentance for for Lashana Lynch being treated that way at the end is that at least she does get a fair amount of ass kicking and and wryness. Before, like, she is cracking one-liner. She's always, like, in this figurative dick-measuring contest with Bond beforehand, <laughs> trying to be the better 007. So, but yeah, I, I agree with, with both your points. I, I think we can... I mean, those are obviously issues we have with how the women characters were treated. And then we have this segment called Dr. Oh God, No, where we talk about our issues specifically with women overall. Mike, I'm going to start with you this time. Do you have any more aside from how you thought the Lashana Lynch character was kind of shortchanged at the end there? Yeah, I, I think Madeline Swan could have been utilized less as a damsel in distress in the final act. So that that is my that is an issue. Like the fact that once she becomes this mother character, then all she does is kind of follow people along and is concerned for the daughter and has to get the daughter off the island. She can't help say, even though she's totally accomplished as you know a double agent as you know the the daughter of uh, an assassin of, of a bad of a bad guy who became good like she should have gotten some some scenario at the end where she could have been heroic too like i'm really strange that it's really strange to me that they didn't give her that moment like her her biggest move was in the woods mm. and protecting her kid uh she just happened upon the child in the bad guy lair there you know because the kid was hiding under a bill under a, a table so that was disappointing because she was built up and so it's 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 a kind of a double-edged sword you built up the character and you need to make the finale of daniel craig about daniel craig i get that but they kind of got lazy in the writing uh with, with the how as long of a finale as it was on how it worked out she was just the stakes, you know. She was the DNA connection, not only to Bond, but Bond's daughter. That Bond couldn't go back and visit, even right. though they loved them three thousand. But you know, you have to, you have to have more than that for a character that was basically Bond's equal uh, throughout the last two movies. Yeah, the capability of each of the female characters was established well enough, but maybe the execution was lacking in some areas, and and were treated as. Sh- shortcomings when they didn't need to be uh, Dave do you have anything to add to there not really I think also Mike's hit the nail on the head there like we, we know there's this typical Bondian trope of the damsel in distress and Bond's ultimately got to save the day and at the end he sacrifices himself but I think also Mike's right there that she she'd proven herself like she proved herself as a child when she shot Rami Malik like f- mm, four times right. and, 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 and he falls dramatically back and then there's that brilliant bit where she's dragging him out his head's banging on the steps I thought that was brilliant yeah pretty brutal as well like she'd proven herself from a young age like she knew how to handle a weapon so i think that writing of the damsel in distress is you're right guys they, they, she could have had more of an impact on the end of the film as opposed to just being sat on a rock with a walkie-talkie like i'm, mm. I'm helpless 
she became Liv Tyler instead of, you know, uh, Steven Tyler in every music video Aerosmith ever did. How about that? <laughs> well, speaking of the weapons that were used, uh, talk about some of the gadgets that were introduced. Q only lives once. Uh, the tech that was used and implemented in this, we touched on the exploding watch already and the dad jokes that those were uh, used for. Uh, I love that plane thing yeah. that they were flying in. I don't know what that was, but that certainly looked cool. Dave, what was the most impressive gadget that you saw on screen? I think it's got to be, and, and I'm not a car expert, but I think it's got to be the Aston Martin DB5, which was just so beautiful. Which was, which, by the way, is just the most gorgeous car to look at. But yeah. this was kitted out with all sorts of chaos guns and like proper bulletproof. Like they were really going to town with the bullets on this car. So that was the coolest gadget for me. The way that Bond just sat there, like. I know the car's bulletproof. I'm, I'm to be, to, to, and and to be honest, I don't. You know, I'm going to die anyway. So why don't we just get it over with now? Right. Um, I'm not bothered. It's, it's Madeline Swans. They're like James. What are you going to do? And then he literally goes, "Okay." Presses a button, all hell breaks loose. Like half of Italy is destroyed with this unbelievable weaponry, this military-level weaponry that he's got on the front of his car. That was my favorite. I don't know if it counts as a gadget, but the um, that was that was that was my favorite sort of bit in terms of gadgets. There, I love that moment where he's realizing I have to break up with her <laughs> in the car. <laughs> like he just came from his girlfriend's, his his ex-love's grave. <laughs> That this girl told her, told him he had to go there. She's basically telling him, I got something to tell you throughout their time in this car, which refers to the fact that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she holds her stomach when she gets on the train. I mean, all these little Easter eggs that I learned on YouTube this morning. But we have, we have that moment where he's just like, yeah, you can shoot this car up. Yeah, I do have to dump her. It, this is over. <laughs> And that happened in that car. So, yeah, the car was badass. It was used in the plot. The exploding watch was fitting, I would say, guys. I don't know what Nomi set up. Was that the Wi-Fi for there? I don't know what that was. Uh, but we, I mean, the, when he unveils the car in Great Britain, mm. I, I mean, just the goosebumps on me. Uh, so, but uh, look, I think, I think it's really refreshing though the moment with q like q gets some great lines in, the, in every one of these craig movies but this is q segment though so we're, we're going on and on about the cars q revealed that he is in fact homosexual in this movie and this is ben wishaw's uh a triumphant moment in the series i i would say and and i hope he comes back I, we've had a lot of characters like desmond llewellyn come back from multiple iterations of bond this q was great from the beginning with how yeah. coy he was meeting bond at the museums yeah. in the first movie mike uh our second was he in the second movie i, th- I don't remember but he's He's been a uh, standout in the series, and for him to get that moment with the Dr. Evil cat and the jokes there, <laughs> and for him to be uh, getting ready for the date that he could never come because this is not a 9-to-5, as he puts it. Just a, a great Q character. Uh, love the Q character. Love the characterization he was given in this movie. Agree. Love the car scene in Italy. Everything David said. I mean, it's mark-out stuff. It is all very James Bond-esque. And with that means that it's a little silly, and this may be the silliest antagonist 
for any Daniel Craig movie. Uh, we have There's a Reason Tomorrow Never Dies and Goldfingers, where we can kind of combine to talk about the antagonism because The Reason Tomorrow Never Dies is kind of the shortcomings with the antagonism, and Goldfingers is how we'd fix it. Look, I can either... What the hell was Remy Malik's plan? David, like, what what did Remy Malik want to do with this bioweapon? I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, there was that moment in the film where he was giving a big speech about everyone's empty and, and life is meaningless and it's all nothing. And it was just like, what what is the plan? Like, what is it just, you know, I thought he was going to go full-blown Thanos and just be like, half the world must die. Like, you right, know. Right, right. Or- like, I guess you could sell it to somebody, but who are you going to sell it? If you're the big bad yeah. guy, you, you, there's nobody selling sell uh, it to. Yeah, and also, let's Governments? not forget that everyone, all the other bad guys, all of Spectre are now dead. So there's... there's right! There's, <laughs> there's, there's, you eliminated your top buyer! There's, there's, there's no one to sell it to you, so you're just stuck with all this weaponry and no buyers. So I think you've hit the nail on the head. That is a flaw that on a rewatch I didn't actually think about, but now you've highlighted it. I think that's a, a great point. So I wonder if they kind of push the push those scenes to the cutting room floor in a way because we did have Bond making a great joke with M and Q. I I forget who it was, but he's like the usual, right? They they're going to hijack a bunch mm-hmm. of nuclear warheads mm-hmm. and hold the world at ransom, which was immediately <laughs> what I said in Mike's ear in my Dr. Evil voice. Billion, million, <laughs> Just love loved it. Gajillion, bajillion. Yeah. The the we probably should do that rewatch too, Mike, but I think I think I don't care, and I, I, I that's where it winds up. All right, we got the ho- carved-out volcano layer base uh, with the poison <laughs> garden. That's all I really care about with the trapdoor floors. Why not? Why not? We got nanobots. Oh, we got the God, Mac- that trapdoor floor. <laughs> we got the sci-fi McDuff- MacGuffin there, uh, McMuffin, whatever it was, <laughs> and we have... We have Safin just barely a step ahead of Bond at every point, and because it's a creepy performance, we forgive him for the fact that he gets his ass kicked in the woods, on the copter, etc., you know, throughout his own home base, and he has to bargain Bond for what reason? Just shoot him! This comes back to it again and again. He could have shot him ten times. He could have shot him in the woods. He could have shot him in the, the room with the trap door, and he thought there was more explosives than there were. All right, you gave some plot armor for Bond there, but there's no... No plot armor. There's no excuse, guys, for Bond in the poison pool, which was not poison, by the mm. way. Like, if the centerpiece of your poison garden is a poison pool, shouldn't there, like, it be filled with jellyfish and poison <laughs> things? And isn't that and, the same water that Lashana Lynch kicked the scientist yeah. down into and he immediately died? That's what I thought. I thought once they went into the water, Bond was going to start boiling an acid, yeah, and they were going to have yeah. an acid fight, and they were going to wind up at their knees like uh, knights in Monty Python. Just <laughs> and this is kind of why I was I was more down on. It. I'm like, this is all just silly. Like this is it's, nothing is happening. This is all it just became nonsense. a sandbox, right? Why did why did I almost called him Elon Musk? Why did Remy Malik stay behind? Hmm. That's another good question. That's a good question because <laughs> couldn't you just like have an override to have your? I mean, that's another thing. Q was like. If you don't open up the blast doors, I mean, this was Star Wars, this World War II fortress, which is closing on all the poison things and all the nanobots and, uh, you know, no bomb in the world is going to be able to blow it up. So you got to do it manually right from there, Mr. Bond. (laughs) Again, you have to die. This is time Mm. to die. I can't believe we called it the other title. So, yeah, I think... um, I, I think they they really kind of got convoluted to just figure out something very simple 
And I think Rami Malek could have been clearer in his craziness, I mm. guess, because he just wanted to kill everybody. Just make him Thanos at that point. Yeah. Just make him Thanos. And I thought he wanted the daughter to have his legacy move on. And then he's just like, okay, you can go now. Go run yeah, down the hall. Just yeah. in case, let me have this vial so that I can kill Bond. Just in case he bests me like, uh, you know, the last 69 years mm. worth of uh, evil <laughs> lords and Dr. Evils have been bested by Bond these 26 times now. 20, 26 if you count the fake one, right? So I, I just think... Like, there's no excuse for not shooting him in that scene. Why have a fist fight with him? And then Bond doesn't hesitate. That was my favorite part. Bond doesn't hesitate for a second. Bing, bang, boom, dead <laughs> as I walk away uh, to my death. So uh, we knew that. But like you said, you can't even justify the fact that he's selling these nanobots. Like, if you sell the technology of this unstoppable assassination method, number one, it's going to spread like a pandemic. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't imagine why this movie was delayed as often as it was, <laughs> considering that the, the big bad thing was a fucking coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, it spreads based on DNA, and eventually everybody's related to everybody else, right? Eventually, you know, because <laughs> it spreads mm. ba based on ethnicity. He wants to be tidier, but it sounds like... I mean, first of all, M deserves to be in prison next to Blofeld. That's what <laughs> deserves to happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, M, M, M is. I, I just want to talk one briefly bit about M actually, where um, right at the start of the film, and this is why he should be in prison. When those operatives go down the side of that building into that lab, they shoot up a load of scientists. They kill, they in cold mm -hmm. blood, a load of innocent scientists. There's a huge explosion, there's gunfire, there's chaos, there's bodies. It was a gas leak. That's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That's the best the man that's... can come up with. You yeah. should be in jail. <laughs> that's a throwback to, like, yeah, old M's calling it a gas leak. I think, it actually, the license to kill with the, with the uh, mansion, there's oh, a, throw, uh, a throwback okay. to that one. Yeah. You would think there'd be one person in the room who's like, should I have this job? Mm. <laughs> Are we following a guy who's an idiot? <laughs> the answer is no. And also, M, you know, after you you're, you get your ass saved from, a, you know, starting World War Three, how about, uh, you know, it's more fitting than just a toast to say thank you mm. at the end between former co-workers. That was like the angriest I've been. That's all Bond's going to get is just one toast. So is Bond, like, like how do you say goodbye to a spy? Like, maybe that's all they could do, mm. right? Like, if they made a big deal about it, then everyone knows who James Bond is, even though every bad guy already knows who James Bond is, so maybe it doesn't matter anyway. I guess I'm just in a huff about the injustice of it all. I, I, I agree. <laughs> You're right. You can't have a parade for the guy, I guess. But, I mean, the, yeah, so, he did. so the crazy thing is, I don't know if you remember the quote that M comes out with. He says, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And then M goes, right, back to work. And that is the most <laughs> quintessentially British thing you can do. Like, your best ever agent. Like, the guy who's just saved the world. He's literally sacrificed himself. Like Bruce Willis in times. Armageddon on the comet. He's yes. been blown up for queen, for country, for the world. Right back to work, uh -huh. jolly ho! It's just—it's to answer your question. That is just the way us Brits are. We're just very, you know, when it comes to things like that. It's let's have a toast and uh, cheers. Here's here's a here's a nice quote, and let's crack on with uh, getting back to you know honouring Queen and country. I think what you just like this part of it is the biggest 
maybe why this felt more like a Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. And we've been leading up to such gritty, hardcore, Dark Knight-esque movies up to this point with Daniel Craig that for the finale of it and the send-off to be a throwback Bond, I think was kind of a letdown for me. It's just like, it's so silly and so over the top. Mm. And it's like, it's fine for what it is. It's certainly entertaining enough. But like, (laughs) I had all this emotional investment into all these real emotions about the man. I see his family for the first time. I see he's he's weak. He's like actually vulnerable. Mm. And we get... Dr. Evil and a toast at the end You get of a office. doomsday device, <laughs> a device. You get an exploding watch. You get a hairless cat. Yeah, that cat. You get all the lines from these throwback Bond movies. You get four Aston Martins, not just one. Like, that's where I'm at. Like, I'm just, I'm satiated with all the Bondian Elan. So F you, whoever critic that was mm. <laughs> that we talked about. There's, this movie is overflowing with Bondian Elan, mm. and that's the problem. There's too much Bondian Elan. There's an overabundance of Bondian Elan, and you wanted more, you know, stuff drawn from, you know, some of the more serious uh, adaptations. Yeah. Uh, mechanisms that we were getting and we're going towards, I would say. But this movie definitely reverted to the old, you know, like Dr. Evil says, to, let's just do what we always do. <laughs> <laughs> we could wrap up with, uh, I mean, every segment uh, this recording has been fun, but usually one of the more fun segments is License to Bill, where we actually start having an accounting for all the civic damage done unnecessarily and otherwise by James Bond and his cohorts and enemies. All right. So I tallied this up. So I'll just, I'll, I'll list it like an itinerary guys. And you just, you know, comment here. We have Mm. one marked grave in Materna, Italy, which was beautifully architected, (laughs) by the way, it was great engraved and yeah, whatever gift basket was there. That was also blown (laughs) up. Probably, you know, fifty, sixty dollars worth of, uh, you know, but there was a card with a squid on it. Okay, let's say that was like fifteen grand because that was a huge grave. It was a huge mm. stone. All right, right. We have one severed cable outside of a bridge. I'm sure that was not inexpensive. Yep. <laughs> Every building in that roundabout just decimated. <laughs> like this was the again. We just watched Luke Pixar's Luca. And the little town square there is a roundabout with a fountain in the middle. And, you know, I guess in in Europe there in Italy, you need to drive Vespas around there, not Mm -hmm. muscle cars that are armored to the teeth with Gatling guns. (laughs) But here we go. The Gatling gun spins and lights up every, I mean, bullet holes the size of our faces through these walls. And we know there's civilians around there. Like the shot of them entering that town square is there's, people running away and trying to find cover so there's death i we don't see it but people have died yep yeah and an awkward edit here because my computer crashed uh like somebody shot it with a gatling gun there you go uh, yeah i think uh i think people definitely died and uh they didn't cover it as usual but okay we have two severed cables uh one in cuba because Basically, everything in Cuba gets, you know, demolished mm. with just dead. I mean, bloodstains, I would say. A lot of bloodstains. Blofeld's birthday party, whatever was spent on that, whatever security <laughs> deposits. It's a good point. Were made. It's a good point. That, that had to be, that was like a, you know, $1,000 a plate type event. Yeah. Uh, we have a whole thing of Cuban scaffolding yep. mm-hmm. just demolished by Ana de Armas on purpose, which was very funny. A funny way to get... Uh, 
get uh, you know the the evil scientist into the other hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then yeah, the the cable shot out of uh, Lashana Lynch's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, expect expensive equipment. Yeah, guys. we're at easily probably five million at this point. That party alone had to be like a multi million dollar affair. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Never, never mind the fact that M is an idiot, but M also attested to the fact that Blofeld is the most priceless asset the British company owns. <laughs> Who Good Madeline point. Swan murderess in this scene by, you know, Safin? She knows she's gonna kill him somehow. Mm-hmm. Whatever mm-hmm. with the per- perfume, she knows something's going on there, and she does kill Blofeld. Who, I mean, she has it out for as well. I would say, you know, with uh, re- all due respect to her character, she's got good reasons to kill him. You also gotta respect uh, Madeline Swan's secretary just setting that appointment up for Remy Malek's character with him clearly being the evil person in somebody's mm-hmm. movie and not questioning it whatsoever, just letting him go. Yeah, that that scene where he brings a memory box, that <laughs> that's like he's he he goes along the lines of I'm a troubled child. I struggle to speak, but I've got a memory box. I was sitting in the <laughs> theater thinking I don't want to know what's in that goddamn box. Like, just don't <laughs> right. open that no damn Brad box. Pitt. That's creepy as hell, man. You get out of the office now. Get rid of this guy. Ooh, that box, man. It was horrible. So you got to uh, fire and hire a new secretary in mm. Madeline Swan's right, uh, right. psychology department at MI6. So that's also costly, uh, mm-hmm. fifty thousand or whatever, whatever that. No, I'm I'm, under, I'm lowballing it, probably hundred k <laughs> these days. All right, so we have uh, one hollowed out volcano <laughs> volcano mm. layer evil base with priceless assassin nano technology a poison garden sans poison pool uh and maybe they'll get that in the renovation and a hilariously large evil workforce mm. all killed uh priceless i would say that's gotta be like whatever facebook's hq is worth is got it's, it's at least con- it's, it's got to be billions of dollars just billions upon billions of dollars never mind that it's clearly a disputed area of land in between multiple countries mm. who want for themselves anyway. If one of our local high schools gets a new ball field, it's millions of dollars. Right. <laughs> That's all I know. So can you imagine if laboratories this secret and this enormous with, you know, World War II level compatibility? Yeah, it's it's probably two or three billion right there. Mm. So what do we calculate? Two, let's, let's call it a, a 2.5 billion at the end of the day. And you said how much for the first part? Uh, we were probably hovering around, I mean, before the party? <laughs> no, everything included, before the $2.5 billion price tag. Are we up to $3 billion? Can we just Yeah, say you could call it around, around $3 billion. Yeah, a round mm. number like that, yeah. $3 billion. No time to die. Never mind James Bond, priceless super spy, who every time the world's ending... All his yeah. intel, all his years of service, everything he's done for the country. Ba- freedom is basically what died. Freedom died. Freedom uh, died. When James Bond died. So ba- freedom, yeah. Bond and Blofeld not related. Freedom dead. <laughs> <laughs> Takeaways. $3 billion. Here's your, here's your check, M. Dick. <laughs> what an event. What an event. Uh <laughs> Guys, aside from the last, you know, 10 minutes where everything on me died, like I was holding up to Bond's watch here, uh, <laughs> a, a great episode. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the input, buddy. Always a pleasure. Uh, please 
plug your stuff and let the good people know where they can find you. The pleasure has been all mine. You can find me on Twitter at one David Long. Please do follow me on Twitter, particularly if you're interested in the gambling lines. I do like to tweet about the, the betting odds on a variety of different categories. And if you want a show where basically our slogan is we go out of our way to see as many films in the cinema as possible, even the bad ones, so you don't have to, come and join us at Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Film Is Worth It or just Google Is It Worth It, the film review podcast or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Basically, we do what you guys would call like a bundle review show. Every couple of weeks, we review sort of four or five films and let you know if they're worth seeing in the cinema. So if you want to know what's worth seeing in the cinema, come check us out. We'd really appreciate some listeners from uh, from your side of the pond. It would uh, be a great honour. That's certainly, I mean, I know I speak for Mike when I say you guys are one of our favorite podcasts to listen to. And I mean, as much if you enjoy the gambling content we do, uh, David is a name we have dropped on this episode quite often because he is uh, just as much as a degenerate as (laughs) some friends of mine that I have. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, as always, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on No Time to Die? What did you think about the Austin Powers comparison? What did you think about the antagonism? And what do you think about the big send off for Daniel Craig's Bond character? You can leave us all those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you hear podcasts, including the Apple Podcast app. If you're listening to us, if you would leave us a five-star review, that would be swell. And then if you would be so kind as to go over to the Is It Worth It podcast feed and leave David one as well, mm. uh, that would certainly make both of our, all three of our days, I should say michael let's have some words of wisdom to end on and tell the good people what's coming next from us well the words of wisdom will not be what m said it will be uh (laughs) it will be uh much more profound and that is yes listen to the is it worth it film review podcast i'm i've been having a blast listening to you guys uh for a while you got the road to the oscars uh side series that you do david that uh hopefully we'll uh we'll record one of those together again this fall uh or this winter rather and uh I'm just a, a big fan, and uh, I, I, it's in my regular rotation. So make sure MMOers, you're listening to David and Craig Fields over there. Otherwise, I do want to say that we have a couple Oscar race checkpoints coming up on MMO. We've been handling some film studies of late, so we're going to uh, release part two of the three New York Film Festival episodes that we've done, Mike. We did one already, and then mm. you and I recorded a, another kind of mishmash where we kind of do a movie review bundle, like a Is It Worth It film review podcast review there. Uh, and we have a bunch of movies like The French Dispatch, Red Rocket, Come On, Come On. That'll be in the next episode that uh, I'll react to. And then we have uh, a final episode where Andrew Morgan and I of the Nomcast there will react to The Power of the Dog, The Lost Daughter, and uh, we'll we'll talk about the James Bond box office, and we'll have a big discussion on box office recovery. What does that do with streaming? Uh, before we kind of go out and, and and give you some more first reactions about Dune and Tragedy of Macbeth and, and some uh, another couple film festival movies that I was able to catch. So Andrew will kind of interview me about those to bookend the episode. I think so. A couple Oscar race checkpoints to come. Uh, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come check out the latest big movies and Oscars updates with us and our friends at the Is It Worth It podcast. Uh, what, what do I say here, Mike? Uh, we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness? <laughs> yeah, no right. stuffiness to be found. Here's no the crazy thing. 
Here's the crazy thing. I forgot what you usually said. Like, so I, just I, drew, I totally drew a blank. I'm very befuddled right now after what this computer just did to me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuff. We like we'll movies. See you. <laughs> we'll see you very soon. See ya. Perfect. <laughs>